Amen. Well, it's good to be with you um, here and in your homes. Uh, this is, I, I'm in the fortunate spot where I, I, um, I get to take my mask off, but that means I have to come up here. Um, so you can decide whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but, but I know what you can relate to this. I know you can relate to times where you've tried something and it didn't work. And so you tried it again. And it didn't work that time either. Okay? And maybe this week, perhaps you uh, had the opportunity to see this lady. Um, she is anonymous, so I'm not sure who this is. But maybe you had a chance to see this lady who um, pulled up to the, the gas pump. And um, she pulled up. This was actually the second, her second attempt. And she realized, oh, the tank is on the other side. And, um, and so she got out and got back in her van, and she began to, uh, to try and rectify the situation. And so she backs up and pulls around, and she's going to go around to the right side. Um, and she does a 180-degree turn here. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a solid three-point turn. Um, actually, I think she might turn it into a four-point turn. Um, but, but then she, she backs it up, and then she pulls it up into the next pump, right? And... Um, and as you're about to see, she gets all the way out of the car, walks right by the gas tank, around to the other side to the pump before she realizes what she's done. Okay? I'd like to say, too, as you continue to watch this, I'd like to say that this was her last attempt. We're going to let that roll for a minute as we make some commentary on this. I, I can't really feel like I'm picking on her because I've done things very similar. Okay? I've gone back to the same well trying to, to solve a problem that, that, that my last trip there didn't, didn't fix. And this poor lady, unfortunately, did this for everyone on social media this week. And she's easy to mock. But we do the same thing in situations that, are, that have even greater consequences. Um, I'm showing you this because, I'm showing you this because we're, we're in a series and we're talking about church, with the title of the series is Church Unexpected. And we're actually talking about a question of what are some things that are true about church? What are some things that are true about the church that, that we, when we head into the experience of church, we weren't necessarily looking for them, but we found them. And the reality is, as just as she has now, this is actually her fourth attempt, um, just, as, just as, as she's pulled up to the pump the wrong way for the fourth time, even though I'm sure that in her late model vehicle here, there's a little arrow next to the gas gauge that says which side that, that you can fill the, the tank up on. Um, I'm sure that, that, that um, she'll get it eventually, right? But, but there's also things that we do when it comes to church, when it comes to these kinds of situations where we just keep trying to, to fill ourselves up. We keep trying to put fuel in our automobile, and, and we just keep sort of pulling up on the wrong side of the car. When it, comes to, when it comes to our life in the church specifically. We could use that analogy in a lot of ways, but today we're talking about the church. And, and there's so many ways we could look at this because, because many of us look at church as another consumeristic way of, of having our needs met. That we just think that we're going, to, we're going to go and we're going to receive and we're going to have our needs met. And, and while church does meet our needs, it, it, it works. It's, it, the body of Christ works for meeting many of our needs. It, that's not why it exists. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at different things that are true in our body, or at least that we want to be true in our body, and how they, they're different, how they stand in contrast to what we thought we were looking for when we, when we approached church. Some of our folks to participate in a conversation about this. 
And today we're going to talk about, we're going to, I want you to listen in as, as our folks talk about re, re, uh, how we want to resolve disputes around here. What do we do when we disagree or when, when we've been hurt? And, and we just had a conversation about that. So listen in. So, um, so yeah, so we're, we're talking about things in the series that are, um, sometimes they're more aspirational than actual, if we're just going to be honest. Um, um, but I would also say, you know, um, if, we're, if, we're, if, we're, if we're sort of assessing ourselves on a scale of how do we look in c- comparison to the broader culture or what's going on in our broader culture, there's no doubt that we live in a divided time. I mean, it's just like everything is divisive. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's in charge. <laughs> like half the people hate them. Um, and, 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 and all the new media platforms and everything has given everyone a voice and it's, it's created so much division. And yet at the same time, we really long to be a place that reconciles our differences. Um, sometimes those differences are, 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 that's pain maybe in relationship. And in some ways we might even be better at those kinds of things. Like, Hey, you hurt me moments than we are at like, Hey, I think what you believe about this particular topic is stupid moments. You know what I mean? Like, um, and, and that's the, the bigger picture cultural moment. And, and so I, I guess I would just say like at Life Community Church, we really long to be a place that reconciles our differences. And, um, and so I guess, what does that look like? How, how does a church go about doing that? Um, what can we even learn from our failures in this? Um, but, but, you know, what, what does it mean to dissent around here and how to, how to live at peace with those that I might disagree with? And not just in peace, but in unity and in the spirit. What are your thoughts? I'm not sure if this is even answering the question, but I think coming from a church that, coming from a church background that, you know, um, was like very, just call it conservative, you know, but it was very biblical, you know. I went to a, a couple Baptist churches, went to Baptist college, and it's always you know, focused on the word, the Bible, and truth. It's always been so important. And to be able to come to LCC and know that we're, we're, we're focused on truth. But, um, like, I can say that when I, when I talk about LCC, I, I, I talk about the, the love that we have for one another within that, within that truth, you know, that, 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 we're not de- that we're not defined by a platform, you know, that we're this version of the Bible or for this stance on this social issue or, or, or whatnot. And I know sometimes I can drive folks crazy that want to know where does, you know, we get asked, where does LCC land on this? Where do you... What do you, what's your position on this? And we sort of refuse to get pulled into, get backed into that kind of a corner. Certainly we have a, a, a biblical perspective on a lot of these issues, but we're not going to get backed in and say we're going to be defined by that. We, wanna, we want to accept one another as God has accepted us in Christ, you know? And so we're going we're gonna to love, we want to understand, we want to listen, you know, and, um, and do that within, the, within a, a broader context of, of a solid biblical foundation. Yeah, I just love that about, about this place. Um, yeah, and it can be really tempting. Uh, there can be a real temptation to think, to think that we all think the same. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the fascinating things in my experience at Life Community has been, oh, I've known this person for years, and I had no idea that... They, 
they land in that place on that issue. I have no idea that they would say, you know, here's this thing that most churches might view this way. I don't view it that way. And, you know, I've heard this said from the front and I don't necessarily agree with that. And it doesn't, like, it doesn't become explosive. I think that for me, when I think about my upbringing, it was always like, it was, we, like we talked about like the holy wars, you know, or, or the war on error instead of the war on terror. And we'd have to tear it down. <laughs> and and, and I, I have found a place, this is one of the gifts that life community has given me is that it doesn't, it doesn't have to be yeah. a power struggle and it doesn't have to be an either or and lines in the sand that don't have to be drawn. Um, again, that's not to say that we don't have biblically informed positions on things. Yeah. But, but holding them fairly open-handed, I think, has is, is, is been a, an indicator of our church. Is, who, who else has seen something along those lines or, or has experienced something like that that you'd be willing to, to share with us? Or? It's funny. Um, like I said earlier, we've been around here since, I think, like 1995. And you plant a church with people, you grow to love them, and you respect people, and you've served alongside, and... Um, been interesting because I think sometimes I get frustrated when people assume things about evangelical churches. Everyone yeah. and then fill in the blank, right? Shoulds. And sometimes I have been convicted, like I, like you said, Tom, I thought, oh, I assumed that person in my hair shared like that same, what I might have thought 25 years ago, a key doctrinal view. Um, and so it's been funny sometimes. I'll be insulted with someone who I've known for a long time and I'm like, what? <laughs> I know that was your stance on that. But it's not such a big deal. It's like, oh, you know, tell me about that. And then there's other things that I go, oh, wow, we have really different views on that. And sometimes, honestly, some of those things have been um, not a big deal. Sometimes I'm like, oh, that was hurtful, right? Like, that was a hurtful thing you just said, and, and maybe I've not communicated that. And and so I've really appreciated over the years, sometimes someone will come to me, even like 10 years later, you remember that thing I said? Yeah. I, I've changed. I don't, I, that person wouldn't have, wouldn't say that anymore. I'm not that same person. And to say, I loved you then, I love you now, but I'm glad. I'm glad we're all growing. But you I've know? changed too. And I yeah, see it your I've way now. And so there's things that I know maybe are things like maybe interpretation of the Bible. And sometimes they're about social issues. It could be political issues. It could be, I mean, one that I thought was interesting was, People have really interesting views on parenting their children. Yes. And I mean, I'm talking like, I remember years ago, like people were fighting over if we should have a pacifier or not. And I was like, thank God I don't go to church that has taken a stance on how to, you know, have your child sleep. And I go, I know that sounds possibly a little ridiculous, but I go, when I have talked to friends, I'm like, yeah, I think we're out of this church. Like if I don't, fill in the blank, educate my child, and fill in the blank, then we're on the outskirts. And I thought, oh, we've got everybody doing their own thing. And, and I'm glad. Like, I've never felt like someone has told me what I need to believe on a, on certain topics. But you better believe the ones we say you, we're not going to compromise on, or we're going to stick to those. But everything else I go, there's room to say could be a little gray. It's like the first item on our list is lists should be short. Like, you know, that that we're in the making of lists, there can be no end. But we've, we've taken a position that says 
man, we want to keep short lists when it's, if, if it really has to be this way, it has to be this way. And, and it's funny, um, you know, because this, this whole series is about, like, like, in some ways, like, the identity of Life Community Church. Like, um, and and I, I, I just sort of, in my other life, swim in circles where I, I'm exposed to a lot of churches. And, and without naming any, obviously, but, like, churches kind of take on a label. Like, that's the church where they all... There's nothing wrong with these things, but like that's where they all homeschool, <laughs> or you know that's the church where everybody is really into you know this social issue, um, and it's funny because I don't I'm an insider, so I don't know what people say about us, and usually when they say it, I kind of like, eh. but 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 I would hope people would say, gosh, that's the church that frustrates me because like they don't have a label that you can pin on. Yeah, like I think well, just when I think I've got it, it seems like wait a minute, there's another one over here. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's actually something that we're, we're kind of, it's, it's intentional. It's not like, if, if you're new around life community, it's not, it's not just a happy accident that you from time to time may be frustrated because we say like, hey, we think this, but we also think this, and we understand that there's tension between those things. Um, that happens on a regular basis because we kind of, we kind of hold those things on the edges pretty loosely. So we're not a perfect place, right? <laughs> um, but we do aspire to be a place that goes about disagreement differently, that goes about conflict. Um, we, we swim upstream when it comes to the way that our culture handles conflict. We don't want to get involved in the power struggles. We believe that forgiveness and unity are radical ideas. And we believe that because our Savior taught it to us. Right? Amongst all of the things that we can learn from him, and the things that where, we can, where we can fight battles. Let's, I, we want to be a people who fight battles over being just radical in our, our willingness to forgive one another, our, and radical in our, in our willingness to come alongside people who disagree with us. And there's a passage of scripture that, um, that I was very familiar with growing up. It's in Matthew chapter 18. And I was very familiar with it growing up because in my background, we used it as like, a, a process for getting rid of people we didn't want to deal with, okay? We used it as, as like, like the steps that you need to take in order to get someone out of your church. Um, and that's the way we viewed it. And, and, and we, would, we would talk about it that way, and, and, and we would have even arguments about, about this passage of Scripture. But in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says this in verse 15. He says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And for years, I looked at this passage and I was just trying to get to the, how do I treat someone like a Gentile or tax collector as quickly as possible? How do I get to a place where I can just say, I'm done with that person? And it was, it was my posture towards, towards disagreement. It was my posture towards, towards people who, who, uh, who I didn't like or who, who stood in my way. And then I came, I came to this place, and as I, as I uh, matured in the spirit, began to see this scripture with different eyes. Because I think what this, what this scripture is actually telling us and what Jesus is actually saying is, look, we don't want to get to a place where we're treating anyone like an outsider. 
We want to take every step possible to try and keep relationships intact. And so when there's trouble, notice what Jesus says here. When there's trouble, the first thing that must happen is that you've got to go to that person. You've got to go there. You have to go alone to talk it out. So, so there's a first step. You see it in verse 15? If, if your brother sins against you, tell them their fault just between you and them alone. Not after you've, you've sort of um, you know, gossiped by way of trying to gain insight from others, right? I'm take, no, I'm not gossiping. I'm taking counsel. No, go to them and go to them alone. Let them know what's happened. And then the second thing is like, look, if, if that doesn't work, if you, the two of you are still at odds, if there's still a significant problem, come together with someone else. Bring someone else along to try and help, help you to hear both sides. Not, I, I always read this. I always read it as bring someone along who's on your side. Bring, let's, let's, let's get the, the, the teachers of the law involved so that we can, we can split hairs and try to determine who's to blame. But I don't think that's what it's saying. I think what it's saying is, can, you think there's someone around, someone with some wisdom, someone with some insight that you can bring along with you who can help you to restore that relationship because we're still trying to win along our brother, right? And finally, Look at what it says. Again, I always tried to rush to the end, and how do I get this person out of my life? But I think what it's saying is this. Disagreement like this is a community matter. It's a community matter. It's, I read this as if the, the church was a courtroom, and the, the, the congregation was the jury, and I was going to need to stand before, before that jury and plead my case as to why I'm right and someone else is wrong. I always read it that way. And I think the Spirit's brought me to a place to understand this differently. I needed healing in that area of my life. That it's not about that. It's about the the community and the unity of the community. And how can that be preserved? How can can it possibly be that, that people together determine how to reconcile? That we don't divide ourselves into separate camps. That we don't split off and, and, and this becomes the group who believes in this and this becomes the group who doesn't. And we maybe just sort of tolerate each other when we have to be together. But rather, how does a community move towards one another in ways where we actually reconcile our differences? It's a radical way of looking at, at our relationships and a radical way of looking at forgiveness And I think it's the point of the story, the great lengths that Jesus wants us to go in order to restore our relationships and to be whole. It's abnormal in our culture, right? I mean, this is foreign. Because the first thing we do when we have a problem is we post something on on some social media platform. We do that first. And then we make some, maybe send some texts or some phone calls to try and see if anybody saw that post. And what did you think about it? Was I right? I was right, right? Okay, maybe I was a little harsh, but I was right, at least, wasn't I? And we use the words, we use words like, well, I'm just saying. We use them as a a weapon. Or we say, well, but it's true. We use that like a club to beat people up. Rather than trying to restore relationship, we try to to segment someone off or some group of people off to let them know how wrong they are. 
we don't want to be those people. We don't want to be those people. And it matters to us. It matters to us deeply at Life Community Church that we become people of restored relationships. As if, as if Jesus' instructions there weren't enough for us to just get the idea. He goes on and tells us another story in Matthew chapter 18. So for those, we see the steps there. But then Jesus tells us, or Matthew records a story that Jesus told here in, in the rest of the chapter. Jump down to verse 21. And it says this. It says, Then Peter, Peter the, the apostle, came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my, bro- will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy. Seven times, 70 times seven. Sorry, 77 times. So we get in this spot, right, where Peter, Peter he, he sort of says like, okay, forgiveness is important to Jesus. Yes, check. Now, where do we go from there? Because they had honest-to-goodness disputes in those days about how many times someone could repeat the same sin before we didn't have to forgive them any longer. Like this was a part of the, the, the arguments of the law. And so Peter brings a a valid question for the day. He says, look, there there are those that say seven times. If if someone has done something to me seven times and I've forgiven them each time, I've done enough, right? Like, I'm clear. I can wash my hands of the situation and and be free. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. In in some spots, he says 70 times seven. And and in this one in Matthew, it's translated 77 times. The point being, right, if you're keeping track, If you're counting how many times you've forgiven, you're not really forgiving in the first place. Like, the the, the pool of forgiveness is way too big for us to keep track of it all. So forgive. And then he tells this parable. Verse 23. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who who was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This is like five lifetimes worth of of a debt. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and children, all that he had in payment to be made. Essentially, here's here's what the judge says. Because you can't pay your debt, you have to go into an indebted slavery. Keep reading. Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, which is um, many days' wages, but much less than, than lifetimes worth of debt. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this one who's been forgiven, he, he now goes out and he finds someone who owes him, and he's choking him to try, and, to try and get his debt paid. Verse 29, so his fellow servants, servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until, until he, should pay, he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and, summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do with every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So Jesus tells a story. He says, look, there's a process to follow. When, when you've been sinned against, you go to that person and you try to make it right. When that doesn't work, you try to bring in some outside counsel and wisdom. Ultimately, it becomes a community matter. And here's the reason why. Here's the basis, right? 
Because in the parable, the first master, the one to whom we owe lifetimes and lifetimes of debt, is Christ himself. And he's forgiven us that great debt. And so when we take a posture with our neighbor that says, you, there's, I'm not going to forgive you for what you've done, or that's unforgivable, or I've had enough, we're saying that the slight debt that's been paid to us is more important than the great debt that we owe Christ. And that's not the posture that he's, that he's pushing on us. That's not the place where he says to us to forgive your neighbor. And, and, and we believe this wholeheartedly here. We believe it so intensely that we are going to push and prompt when there's a dispute or there's a disagreement, we're always going to say, have you gone to that person? What have you done to make it right with that person? As much as lies within you, how much of the burden of forgiveness is on you and have you carried that burden? Oh, it's not easy. It's terrible. I've had to do it. I've sinned against my neighbor greatly and been forced into positions where I've had to go to them and say, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? And some have said yes and others have said, I'm not ready. But it happens. And we're, we, we long to be a place that takes Jesus seriously. And so this morning, you're sitting here and we're, we're dealing with this idea of conflict. Conflict. It exists. It's real. You have conflict in your life. You may be really good at keeping the peace. Okay? But some level of conflict exists in your life. And we're bringing it down from your life to even within the boundary of church within the relationships that we would call life community. Conflict, if it doesn't exist already for you, it will. It will. If you don't have people around that you disagree with, you will. It's going to happen. It's bound to happen. Just stick around long enough. Okay? For some of us, we're sort of conflict junkies. <laughs> okay? I confess, this is more my problem. I love a good argument. I'm always ready for a fight. I need to do this. I need to step back. What Jesus is asking for the conflict junkies in the room, for people like me, who, who I define my life by what I'm opposed to. That's just my natural stance. He's saying you need to take a step back. You need to listen more. You need to only speak when you're really serving your neighbor and not when you're serving yourself and, and trying to, to gain the upper hand in an argument. You need to take a step back. Because what you're doing is you're piling all of your baggage on your neighbor. You're making everything combative. And in the end, you're severing the unity of the body of Christ. Christ did not die so that I could show how smart I am, how right I am, and how I can win every argument. That's not why he died. But some of us also need to lean in. I have to speak about this in the third person because I'm not sure what this is about. But there are some people I hear who are sort of conflict averse. <laughs> that when conflict arises, they do everything that they can to move away from it, to hide from it, to deny its existence. Those of you that are in the, the EHS, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality groups right now, you're, you're looking at areas of your life where we have learned patterns. Patterns where we've picked up on how to handle conflict. And for some, 
you didn't grow up like I did, you didn't learn the way that I did, you don't have the natural sinful inclination that I have to fight. But you have an inclination that says, I'm just going to I'm just going to keep it away. I'm just going to I'm just going to pretend it's not there. That's equally damaging. Because because what we wind up doing is we wind up taking on all the burden from those around us. We wind up pushing down hurt and pain that causes us harm, but then also we can only hold so much. And it winds up becoming things that become silently divisive for us. We walk away from community. We step out of community. And the body of Christ is divided either way. It's divided by those of us who want to try and flex our muscles and power up, but it's also divided by those who just simply say, I'm walking away. I'm not going to try and make unity here. I'm not going to try and restore relationship. It's too difficult. We might even spiritualize it to a point and say, I'm just going to be the bigger person. But, but if you're someone who, who shies away from it, we need to be bold. And we need to move towards our neighbor. So what do we do in the immediate? The first thing I would say is we need to pray and identify. Pray and identify what's the source of the conflict, and specifically in the church. Where's the conflict coming from? And then the second thing we need to do is pray again, okay? Pray and assess. What's my role in this conflict? How am I, how am I an agent of conflict? Is, 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 am, I, am I someone that's pushing people away with my anger and hostility? Or am I someone that's, that's warm and welcoming and hospitable towards those that I disagree with in the hope that our relationship can promote greater unity in the body and thus greater mission for Christ? And then lastly, you need to pray again, okay? You catch this? Pray again. And either back off or approach. Right? So, so pray and identify the source. Pray and assess our role. And then pray and back off or pray and approach. But restore relationships. It's a radical idea. Would you pray with me? God, we're, um, we're, we're gathered together all over um, the place today. And we acknowledge that we, uh, we struggle. We struggle in our relationships. We struggle to, to be made whole with one another. And God, we ask that, um, that you would help us, that you would show us. Um, show us what it is that, um, that we need from your spirit. Give us wisdom to, to identify the areas of conflict in our life and, and how we are, we are responsible. And then God, give us the... The, the strength to step back or the courage to step in so that our relationships with one another can be made right. We love you and we thank you. We thank you for forgiving our debt. Spirit, enable us to be people who forgive one another in the same way. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.